Now, we're continuing on, going on this journey with the, the encounter with the woman at the well. And we last week looked at where the explanation was giving of worship and reminding us that it isn't about the building and the place and the location, the geographical spot being perfect, but that worship were the body and temple of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and then us leading to worship our Heavenly Father in spirit and truth, in spirit and truth. Spirit reminding us that we've got to be that living sacrifice and truth reminding us you got to cling to the word. You've got to be so tied to the word. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 was the verse that we looked at to kind of really highlight that and remind us of that charge that we have from our king. Now, the things that we were to ponder for the week, the charge to check in on that, one was to wake up every day and deny yourself. To wake up each day this last week and just say, Lord, it's not about me. I surrender my will so that your will can be done. How did you do with that? And that's something Luke 9, 23, there it is, youth group, calls us to do daily. So we need to be doing that every single day. The second part of the charge was getting into the word of God more. Because there's only one thing that's going to renew our minds the word of God. That's it. And we can't go on the train that society and culture tries to have us go on where we're looking for all of these different things to fulfill needs, to fulfill desires. None of them will do it. What did he say? They will thirst again. But he has the living water where you never thirst again. How are you doing with your obedience to the word of God? How are you doing with trusting the word of God? How are you doing with embracing conviction and biblical integrity? I even gave that charge to think about, how are you doing reframing how you even talk? I have conviction after reading dot, 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 that, dot, 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 putting the word at the middle, at the center. And the third charge that we had was to find the Samaritan woman that God's put in front of you to tell of the living water, to tell of everlasting life. And I'll tell you, it is so on my heart, salvation, people coming to know the Lord. We need to get the word out so people can know our king. Now, today we're going to continue in this passage with a message I'm entitling, what are y'all waiting for? What are y'all waiting for? And I will say on Thursday, I got confused as someone thinking I was an official southerner, so I can use y'all publicly now. Uh, But truly, as we look at this passage What are y'all waiting for? What we're going to see in verses 27 to 38, we're going to see the disciples' reaction to coming and seeing Jesus having this conversation with a woman alone. There's cultural norms. There's propriety that's being broken in this moment. What what is going on? Now, we're going to see it's not a license to sin, and it's not a license to go to those who are the outcasts of today and condone what's being done. No, because we saw in the encounter... He gave the word. Jesus spoke. He gave truth. And that changes the person. In this encounter, we're going to see a woman's zeal for evangelism after seeing Jesus face to face. We're going to see an urgency that she has right in that moment. I got to go tell people. And it's truly a model of evangelism that we get because it's about 
Jesus. It's not about her words. It's about who Jesus is and how Jesus impacted her. In this passage, we're going to see again, as we're going to see throughout this gospel, a physical truth versus that spiritual truth. And we know that we've just learned about the new water. And I would say as we go through this passage, we learn about a new way to be satiated, a new way to be full. And in this passage, we're also going to be reminded, saints, the time is now. The time is now. We need to share now. We need to be at the center of God's will, which we're going to look at what is God's will And we need to be at the center of that. And we're going to be reminded that it's not about what we want. I know that's hard to hear. I'm sorry. But it's not about what we want because it's about God. It's about God's will. And we're going to see the commission, the character, and the cause around his will. That's going to make it ever so clear for us. And in that church, we're also going to see that we can be joyful co-laborers in the work of our king. Think about that. The God of creation, the God of in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, calls us to get to be co-laborers with him in his work. (laughs) Incredible. So stand with me and let's read John chapter four, verses 27 to 38. We read there. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these verses, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit to Be empowered to give the words that are needed for your people, Lord God. And we just pray for distractions to be cast aside, for anything that wants to take us away from what you would have for us this morning, that we don't go there, Lord, that we discipline ourselves to stay focused on you, to prayerfully discern what you would have for us, to glean from the conviction you bring upon us with these verses, Lord. That we would then be empowered and relying on you and your spirit, and your word to go forth and do what you have called us to for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So verse 27, have a seat. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Now remember, what happened right before this, Jesus has revealed that he is Messiah. He's revealed that to this immoral, to this outcast woman. And the disciples now come. Remember, culturally, the rabbis at the time, they wouldn't even speak to their wives in public. So you can only imagine as they're coming up and as they're seeing this, they're wondering, what is going on? What is he talking to her about? There probably was a little curiosity. How do you talk to a woman? What is he saying to her? What what is happening right now? And in that, though, notice, yet no one said. They were silent. And I think there's an important lesson for us in their response to observing Jesus being Jesus. Silence is a gift. Sometimes we can get too busy thinking, I need to talk, I need to do this, I need to do that. But silence is a gift here, and it's a reminder for us saints that we sometimes need to just be still and know that he is God. We sometimes need to just be quiet and trust and surrender and be in awe of the work that he is doing. And in this, they also know they don't need to talk to Jesus about what he's doing and it being wrong because culturally it was wrong again. They don't have to go there. In this, they just know I need to trust him. I need to look at him and and just let God be God because guess what? There's that lesson for us again. Silence, embrace it. Do you talk more or do you listen more? Are you reading the word of God Or are you reading and speaking to yourself what you are twisting the scripture to say so that you can have your way? Or do you just read and say, Holy Spirit, speak and just read? Now, second, Jesus didn't obey cultural norms because he obeys God. And in this case, the cultural norm doesn't matter because guess what it's about? A soul needing salvation. A soul needing salvation drives him. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men. So she leaves the water pot. She goes. Think about this. She's met Jesus face to face. She has now had and known of the new living water. She's filled. She doesn't need that pot. Now, she may also, there could be speculation that she would have known, okay, I'm going to be coming back with all these people. I'll get that again. But I see this as something important when that face-to-face moment comes when there's that seeking and that seeking is finally fulfilled, what you were seeking and what you thought matters doesn't matter anymore. Think about that. Every single one of us that is a believer, that is a child of God in this room, you have things that before you came to know Christ were important, were the priority, where this comes first, I'm seeking this. But then as you know Jesus, no, I just want Jesus. And then daily we rise, we crucify ourselves because it's a battle with the flesh where we continue to try to go back, to try to do these other things, but we have to keep pressing forward. And what's important is left behind. Another example of this that I want us to look at quickly is Mark chapter 10. If you turn there with me, and this is the story of Bartimaeus, and this is one youth group you might remember from a year ago, Uh, but it is uh, a good example again, and there's just one piece of this story that I want to highlight. 
Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And the piece that I want us to focus there is what happens with the cloak that he has. He leaves it. That cloak that would, for him... Be everything. That's what he has. That's what gives him, guess what? His identity. Because his identity was in being the state of a beggar. And that cloak at that time culturally would let the people know that's it. He was focused on his identity. It was all that he had. And he leaves it. He just tosses it. Again, it's another picture where either before you have come to have faith in Christ or after you have faith because he already has faith. And I like Jesus is the one who can do this for me. What it is to forsake the things that you think are important. And for the believer, search your heart. What's more important than God to you right now? What are you holding on to that would be a struggle if Jesus came to you face to face and said, can you give it to me? Would you just do it without hesitation? Or is that part of you, well, but I I, I need it. Or I got to do that. Search your heart there. Now, with this, we then see that she goes her way into the city, said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came to him. So we see this woman, immoral, outcast, least likely, doesn't have much spiritual truth at this time, if we think about it. She doesn't really know much about Jesus, goes to tell people about him. What are y'all waiting for? What's our excuse for not going and telling people about Jesus? When we know, I think, a bit more. I know you know a bit more. This body knows more. So what's our excuse there? We have to think about that because look at the zeal that this woman has to go. She runs to get there. And culturally, think of what the disciples would be aware of as they're thinking about this. It's that Jew versus Samaritan battle. We've talked about that. It's the cultural norms, which we've talked about. It's the fact that her reputation would precede herself. And notice that reputation, she goes to the men. It's not a verse to say, women, wag your fingers at men and tell them what to do. No, that's not what's going on. It's saying that the person who was least likely to carry that gospel is now going forth to that gospel to the people that she would have been in that sin with. And that's something for us to remember. The testimony, the story, the working of Jesus Christ in your life. Who around you reminds you of who you were before Christ? Are you running and telling them, hey, let me tell you who Jesus is and how, how he impacted me? Because I, I can relate to what you're doing. I, I, I used to drink all the time too. I can relate to that. Let's talk about that. Are you doing that? And we have to realize Nothing is holding her back in this moment. She goes. But for us, things hold us back. Fear holds us back. 
fear. Oh my goodness, what, what, what will somebody think? What will they say? How will that go? Doubt. I, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I, I, can't, I can't share with somebody. Pride. I'm not like that anymore. I don't need to talk to that person. I'm not like them anymore. I'm above that. I, I, I know so much. There are things that keep us away. Unbelief. There's no hope for that person. That person's never going to get to salvation. We can't think like that because those things keep us away from evangelism. And we've got to remember, we've looked at Acts 1.8 several times. If we can get it up there, I think it's one that I maybe said, yes, good. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit, don't forget the first intention and core of the Holy Spirit, power to preach and share the gospel. So for you who's sitting there and it's like, well, I just don't know. Have you asked the Holy Spirit, give me the power to talk to this person about you, Jesus. Give me the power to share. And see what happens when she meets with Jesus. She started calling him a Jew. Then she calls him sir. Then she calls him prophet. And then she says, Christ, could this be the Christ? She has gone through that journey because she's having the true revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we have the true revelation of who Jesus is, it needs to then embolden us into a powerful witness. That's why we need to be in the word, saints. Because when we're in the word of God, guess what? We're seeing Jesus face to face. We're getting to know him face to face and then we get emboldened to do it because as she goes and she says, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? There's no shame or guilt that she goes with because Jesus confronts her sin but that confrontation of sin is done in love and done in security because there is security in our Savior and Jesus had the knowledge of everything that had been done. And he told her all those little secrets. For us, those secrets that you may think you have, guess what? God knows. You can't hide. So come forth, go to him, so then that you can do what he's called you to do. Let Jesus confront your sin. Do you do that? Do you realize from this example of the woman at the well, we have a portrait of how our Savior confronts sin in love. But are you letting him confront the sin in your life? Because he's not doing it in hate. He's not doing it in judgment. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And what does she do? Again, she tells them who it is and how he impacted her. He told me all the things I've ever done. Now, some will point that's a little exaggeration because not every single thing would come. But I look at that and I say, all the things for her because it was everything that was keeping her from having hope. Everything that was keeping her from having a means to go forward with peace, with joy. Going on. In the meantime, uh, sorry, then they went out of the city and they came to him. So they... They go. They respond to that. Then we have, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So now here we are again in the physical and the spiritual, in the material and the spiritual. 
And it's, it's that duality that we are going to see throughout Scripture, throughout this gospel. They come with that physical need. In the meantime, his disciples, they're urging him. Guess what? They knew he's tired. This is a long journey. We're all tired. We're hungry. Dude, eat. Eat some food now. And Jesus' response to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And then they go on and they say, Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? So it's a, it's a funny moment if you think about it. I think about these guys, they're all sitting there. Jesus drops this profound bomb on them. I have food to eat of which you don't know. Dude, did somebody get him five guys? Like, what, is, what does he have? What is he eating? How, how, where did he get this food? We, we went all the way down there and he got food. He got it Ubered or whatever. That's where they go. They're sitting there. What, how, did, how did somebody bring something to him? But Jesus is reminding them already. You can't live by bread alone. It's not going to happen. And he stays steadfast on the mission that he's had from the get-go. Souls to know who he is. That's what he came to do. He came to do God's will. So he's going forth with that. And he says now in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is full already. Thanksgiving's coming up in a few months. You're going to have the table full with all the spreads. Raise your hand if you've ever felt full on a Thanksgiving. Everybody's hand should go up. I grew up with a Haitian mother where you say, oh, I'm good. No, you need more. Eat, eat, eat. And just keeps putting it and piling it. And then you're like, no, I'm really full. And then you get up from the table. And then she lays out about 15 different pies and cakes. And we're like, Mom, there's only five of us. Okay, but we can empathize with that feeling of being full, right? With that feeling of being satiated. And the fullness in this moment for Jesus, guess what it comes from? To do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is full by doing God's will. The fullness. There's physical hunger and then there's that spiritual hunger. And Jesus' spiritual hunger is to be about the Father's business. And when he does that, guess what? He's full. Let's look at a few passages that light this up a little bit more. Turn to John 6, 38. We read there. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what he's all about. And we see that throughout where he says, my hour has not come. We saw that when we looked at the map of how culturally they would have gone through Perea. But he says, no, I'm going straight this way. There's a soul that needs it. And it's God's will. People need to be saved. I'm going. They need to know who I am. Go to 17.4. John 17.4. When we read there. Now this passage, John 17, I can't wait till we get there in a year. It is a meaty, meaty prayer. And we, we studied a portion of this in youth group. And I, I say this is the Lord's prayer. This right here, John 17, read it for homework today. Everybody read it. And just read it again and again and again. But the verse that I want us to focus on right now. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. 
Now, this is when he's in the garden, he's praying, and we see this model prayer, but Jesus is asking, Lord, if this could not be, but not my will, your will be done, but knowing I've done what needed to be done at this point. I know what's coming next. I know what has to be done next so that the charge you gave me can be done, God. And then we see in John 19.30, that charge is done. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. That's a word flow that we have to follow because again, I'll be real, every time that I've read this and I see how finishing the work, I never really piece those two together till walking and realizing what a prophecy he gives in that moment. I'm going to finish the work. It's going to be eternal and everlasting. Remember, John 3 was all about what it, the belief being the new birth. And John 4 is about that faith. And that faith can only happen when Jesus finishes the work. Do you remember you serve the God who says, it is finished? Punct. Done. It is finished. Doing God's will for Jesus is a source of strength. It's a source of satisfaction because he's only about God's will. So when he's telling these guys, you know, I could, I could picture his stomach grumbling and it's like, no, I'm good. I have food. I'm full. I did the Father's work. I'm about doing God's will. That's Jesus. And you need to remember the reality of the duality that we talk about because while Jesus is about doing God's will, we've got to remember the one enemy that we truly have who's not about God's will. Turn to Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. Because as we look at this moment where Jesus in this gospel for the first time is so explicitly saying, I got to do God's will, I want to remind us there's one enemy who's not about God's will. And that's important for you to know because as you take the steps forward in God's will, the enemy is going to try to trip you up. And you need to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks war like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we need to be mindful of that. We read here, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, notice where it starts, in the heart. What does he say? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. I'm going to be like the most high. I'm going to be God. That's what he says. And when we're moving forward in God's will, I point this out to you, because make sure you're doing a pulse check that you're moving forward in humility, you're moving forward in surrender, and you're moving forward that it's only about God. Because if you're moving forward and it's about you, and if we think about the reality of the duality, you're either running for Jesus or you're, that means you're helping the enemy. You're helping the enemy, and we are the army for Christ. So we need to be mindful of our motives there. I I like a quote that Spurgeon has on this. The man of the world thinks if he could have his own way, he would be perfectly happy. 
and his dream of happiness in this state or in the next is comprised in this, that his own wishes will be gratified, his own longings fulfilled, his own desires granted to him. This is all a mistake. A man will never be happy in this way. That's something we have to realize. And that's, guess what? The devil, he's never going to be happy. We know what's going to happen to him. We get the whole playbook. We know how this goes. But we see the motives that start that. Nothing, saints, can be more satisfying than God's work. Nothing is more satisfying than doing the work of God. Now, guess what? That's counterintuitive to culture. And youth in the room, that's so counterintuitive to everything you see where it's all about me, me, me. How many selfies can I take? I'm so cool. Hashtag cool. Oh, my goodness. And guess what? That's not what it's about. It's about doing God's work. And there's something else we have to realize, saints. Don't forget what we saw before this. How was Jesus' state when he was doing the work and the will of God? He was weary. He was tired. But he did it because he loves doing God's will. He says in this that he's going to start it and he has to finish it. That's how we need to be. We need to be a people who Psalm 40, verse 8, put it up there. Psalm 40, verse 8 needs to be a verse that we memorize, that we write. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. And notice what's tied, saints, to the will of God. Your law is within my heart. Ain't no will of God without the word of God. Please realize that, saints. Too many times we put ourselves on this journey looking for the will of God. Open the word of God. Open the word of God. And the will of God, we're going to see. I won't spoil our alert, but it's all given. He gives us a commission. He gives us the character for that commission. And he gives us the cause for what he calls us to do. It's all there. And we need those who believe to run the race that way. And that means, saints, we've got to share who he is. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be like that Samaritan woman. I got to tell you who Jesus is, and I got to tell you how he impacted my life. You got to hear this. You got to hear who this is. And men, we just went to that conference. We looked at 2 Peter 3. We're going to put up 2 Peter 3, 9, because we need saints to remember the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you look around and say, okay, well, everybody keeps talking about the rapture of the church and what's going on? Why isn't happening yet? What's going on? Guess what? Bam! Jesus wants all to come to that place of repentance. And we need to be doing our work of sharing, of talking about who Jesus is so that people will come to repentance. Jesus is long-suffering. Believer here that's in habitual sin or that's in a hidden sin that no one in the body knows about, maybe your family doesn't even know about, want to tell you something. God's being long-suffering with you too. You got to come to a place of repentance. You got to put the bottle down. You got to put the website you shouldn't be looking at. You've got to put the jealousy. You've got to put the greed. You've got to put whatever it is that's in your way aside. He's being long-suffering with us too. Far too often as the body of Christ, we look at certain verses and we only think about, well, those people who don't know Jesus yet, I'm Gucci, I know Jesus. No, you're not. You need to have him search your heart regularly, daily, 
Now let's look at what is the will of God in this passage. What is, what is it that we point to? Because again, if we look at our text, his is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What did he just do? He told a woman about Jesus, who he is. He revealed himself. God's will is that all would come to repentance. So saints, one, our commission. Turn to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority is Jesus's. We don't have any control over anything. Go, therefore, because all authority is our Messiah's, we're going to go. Where are we going to go? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to go do. Baptism never going to happen without the word of God rightly divided and the Holy Spirit being able to bring about conviction that leads to repentance and souls being renewed by the word of God continually preached, rightly divided. And then we see verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Notice, not some things, not just the New Testament, because the Old Testament's really old. It's not that important. Just leave it alone. Let's just focus on the New Testament. No, all things. And this is the best part of this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Holy Spirit dwells in us. Holy Spirit empowers us to do the calling and God's will of helping that souls would come to repentance. The commission. He gives us the character we need for that commission. Turn to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. The character that we all need to be running for I say Paul gives us the best picture of that character. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Men, we are just starting Jude, and we looked at that on Tuesday, that bondservant. That's what our identity needs to be. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's a humility. It's a surrender. Our character is humble. Our character is being a bondservant to the Lord God, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the commission, even unto death. Wait, you mean I could be in God's will and it could mean that I die? Yes, it could. It could mean that. And guess what? You have eternity with the king. But are you going to be one that starts and finishes the work? And then we have the cause. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We have our commission. We have our character. And guess what our cause is? Glory God. Glory to God on high. Glory to the King Jesus. Glory to Alpha Omega, beginning and end. Because it's not about me, it's all about him. That's what we need to be focusing on. Because guess what? God's will is about lost souls. It's about glorifying him. We were made by him and for him. And we put this in context of what we looked at last week about worship. I think everybody in this room wants to worship Jesus. If you don't know Jesus yet, let's talk so that you can join us in that worshiping of King Messiah. 
but we're told to worship in spirit and truth. The word of God, God lays it out in an intentional order. If we don't have the spirit and truth right, we're never going to be able to fulfill that commission. And that spirit is that living sacrifice of Romans 12.1 and the word of God, Romans 12.2. We need to remember that. So the question you then have to ask yourself is, are you truly living in God's will? Are you living in God's will? Now, before you go on a rabbit trail of a bunch of things on that question, I'm going to have us focus on what the will is, and we've already seen it. The will is that all would come to repentance, that all would come to know Jesus as Messiah. Now, look at verse 35 back in our text. Do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So Jesus now goes on. He's given that spiritual truth, and now he's saying, okay, let me, let me break this down a little bit. Let me bring up a proverb that culturally you would know of. There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. There's still these four months, then the harvest comes. What he's talking about is that white harvest, when, when the, the grains are ripe, when everything's ready, he's looking at them and reminding them, you know that proverb that the farmer plants and then waits for the plenty. The farmer waits and knows there's so much goodness coming. There's going to be all of that. I don't need to worry about anything. Everything's going to be fine. And that's some of us. Because Jesus says right after that, But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, and that's literal. Look up, the Samaritan woman, those guys, they're coming. They're ready. It's white already for harvest. That means it's super ripe, maybe over-ripened. He shifts to obedience. That proverb of that time, he says, that's not what it's about. It's about obedience, but far too many of us live in that proverb. I call them the rapture watchers. The rapture's coming, 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 the rapture's coming. That's all they do, and they don't do nothing to talk about Jesus. No one has an opportunity to hear about Jesus, to hear about who he is. It's the person that thinks other people will do it. I don't need to worry about evangelism. Other people have that covered. Or the person that says, well, you know, I did that when I was younger, but I'm too old now, and I don't really have kids anymore, so why do I need to do anything in the church? Like... I'm just going to chill, and the rapture's coming. He's going to come at any moment. I don't need to do anything. Again, or that idea, someone's got it. Or that idea, I'm not good enough to do that. I think far too much, we don't want to admit, we do get stuck in that land of somebody else will take care of it. When we look at that, there's a story I want to read. We're going to have a little quick story time that uh, some of you know before I was obedient to the Lord's calling. I was a school administrator. And this would be what I would start every single meeting with any of the teachers that I was administrating as a head of school. The story is called, That's Not My Job. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done. And everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. And 
That's what we need to realize. Don't be an everybody, somebody, anybody, or nobody. Be a bondservant of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, and do what he's called you to do. Don't think. Somebody else will do it. There's somebody that clearly you know doesn't know the Lord. Somebody else has got that. I don't need to worry about that. They'll take care of them. They got that. No, we can't do that. And then we think about the minds of the disciples at this time. Samaria, we've talked enough about the difference that's going on there. We've talked about the tension between them, the tension with these half-breeds. They would probably, if we're going to be real, be thinking, there's no hope for those people. They're not ready to hear the gospel. This region is a lost cause. There's no hope for them. Don't logic it. Don't put limits on God. We can't do that. We can't decide who should hear the gospel. Because guess what? Our Savior, our King, wants all to be saved. When we say a region or an area is hopeless, Jesus says they're ready. They're ready. When we say Chapel Hill, Durham, the Triangle area, it's so difficult. They're so woke. We can't give them a gospel. Jesus says, the harvest is white. Go. It's over-ripened. They need me. Go. Go. We need to get our sickle and reap. That's what we need to be about. And we can't decide it's not the right time or it's too hard or they don't want to hear about Jesus. Turn to Ecclesiastes with me, chapter 11. And we would look at the whole chapter, but we're just going to focus on verse 4 for time's sake. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We can't be over-analytical about sharing who Jesus is. Because guess what? If you don't plant, there's never going to be anything to reap. There's never going to be anything to do that. We can't wait for the perfect circumstance. I've been guilty of that where I'm, I, I'm with someone. And I'm like, I really need to move in this direction. But it's like, ah, well, maybe not right now. Let's wait for the right time. No, we don't know if we're going to see that person again. We can't wait for the perfect time by our desire. So I, I charge you, Ecclesiastes 11.4, if you're someone here that's struggling with the idea that this region's too hard or it's not right or there's not the right circumstance, why don't you pray on that a little bit? We're not called to be the judge of how. We're called to go with humility as his bondservants for his glory. We got the commission, we got the character, we got the cause. The trouble that Jesus is pointing to isn't that the fields aren't white. The trouble is that the laborers aren't willing or ready. And we, we as a body of believers, I think Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, some of you, when I say that, what are y'all waiting for? I've gotten to know you for the last two years. Y'all know the Lord. You know the word. You have such loving hearts in this room. We have prayer warriors in this room. Share. Go forth. Do it. Do what he's called to do, that we can be faithful for it. Now, going back to our text, verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. 
So he now says, guess what? Not only is this what you guys are going to be about, but there's, there's going to be wages for it. There's going to be rewards for it. And that's what happens eternally and in eternity. Because it's all about eternity. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to remember, go labor for his glory. Go get in the fields and do it. Another reminder where Jesus gives us of this, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. It's another way that he he says the same thing. Verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The harvest is always ready. This verse is one that I had such heavy conviction upon when I was reading it, praying on the move to come to North Carolina two years ago. And I was working through the Gospel of Matthew. It was a day that I had committed to prayer on it, and I was in Matthew 9. And when I landed on these, heavy conviction on my heart from the Lord. And I thought it was going to be to run a school, but it was to be here and to serve this church. Because guess what? The laborers are few. And the laboring, it's not that everybody has to be a pastor. That's two men in the room only. But it's about the fact that we all need to be laborers. We all need to be in the work and about our Father's business for souls. What are y'all waiting for? Some are going to sow, some are going to water, some are going to be there and reap. Do you realize far too often there's the moments where you get to pray a prayer of salvation with somebody, which is beautiful. When you do that challenge, give thanks unto God for every person that sowed and watered before that moment. Because it's a journey that we need to glorify our king, that we get to be a tiny part of that work. Because it's not about competition. There's not a competition here. It's not about, okay, who, okay, guys, so we got this charge. Who's got the most souls next week to report? Woo, let's go. That's not what it's about. It's about doing the work that he calls us to. 1 Corinthians 3, turn there. It's a beautiful passage that Paul gives us in understanding. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but... God gave the increase. Note that, underline it, highlight it, circle it. God gave the increase. God does it. No man. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. You're nada. It's got to be the humility of the character that we saw. But God who gives the increase. King God gives it. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Notice then that. It's one, we're one doing the work, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor, his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Remember what he, we looked at about worship? God's building? So we need to realize this, we need to say this. And I would dare argue in our culture, seeds have already been planted, saints. We've got to water. We've got to water, and how do we water? We water with the word. 
We water with love, showing the love of Christ. And we water with prayer. We water with prayer. And we have to be mindful that it's going to be work. When we look at verse 6 in our passage, weary, and when we look at verse 38, labor, if you do a little word study in Greek, guess what? The same words used there. Harvest is a challenge. There's going to be physical oomph that's needed out of you. And there's going to be spiritual oomph that's needed out of you. And guess what? No room for lazy people. You don't get to be passively and just ride your little float tube down the lazy river to the rapture. That's not how we're called to do it. We're called to be servants of our king. And there's too few laborers, so we need to be praying. Because guess what? There's two hungers we saw today. The flesh hunger versus the spiritual hunger. The self versus souls. Jesus is about the souls. Jesus is about quenching that spiritual hunger. Because when you're about your father's business, when you're doing God's will, when you're doing what he's called you to do, food's going to be the last thing on your mind. Now, that doesn't mean don't eat. You should eat, take care of yourself, rest, try to sleep, all that stuff. But guess what? You're going to be satiated. And that satiation is peace. That satiation is steadfastness. That's what that becomes for us. And for the church, there's an aspect we need to go further with this. For individually, you've got to search yourselves individually and see, okay, where can I go farther, Lord, in in being at the center of your will? Who do you need me to water today? Who do you need me to see if they're ready to reap with today, Lord? And in that, as a church, we need to remember the word of God's given us a toolkit to be the church. Acts 2.42, he gives us the toolkit the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer. Saves the best for last. Prayer. We need to be a body of prayer. We need to be in the word, we need to be in the spirit, but we need to be a body in prayer. And that I say, what are y'all waiting for? We talked about it this past Wednesday when we actually had a time of prayer after the message because it was so clear, we need to do this. We just talked about prayer. We need to pray. We need to be in obedience to the Holy Spirit and we need to obey the call to pray. And guess what? Saints, I'm charging us with love. I say this as your pastor with love. Please, come to prayer. I know life gets busy, but praise God, Jesus wasn't too busy to get on the cross for us. And I'm giving us this charge knowing we're doing it as a family too. Where are our priorities? I already know, Baldrick, love you, man, and I want you to grow up and play sports. If you have a sports league that has Sunday mornings, ain't happening, bro. We've got to prioritize church. It's something that's been lost, and I'm going to tell you, nothing you put in front of me I'm going to say is more important than God and doing what he calls us to do biblically. It's a biblical mandate. Prayer. So show up, please. And I'm saying that with love because looking at this body, we have such prayer warriors. What happens if we come together in one accord and pray to our king for souls, for salvation, for this region, for our families? We're going to be starting either November or December looking stuff to know. We will be starting family prayer. We're going to do pizza and prayer once a month. 
on Sundays, and I want the kids here, I want everybody here, and we'll have, well, the church will serve pizza, and then we're going to have a time of prayer and go before the Lord, and we got to do it with the kids, saints, because guess what? They need to learn. We turn them over to the school system very easily and happily, and we come to church, and I love children's ministry. It's great, but I want to be real with this flock. I am praying through Are we truly making sure we're stewarding children the way that we need to when everything in the world is slated about them not learning about God? They need to learn and learn how to worship. Learn how to pray. That's what it's about. That's that's where we, we truly are moving towards doing God's will. If he calls the church to pray, Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, let's pray. Let's do it. Let's do what he calls us to do. So the charge for this week, one, what do you need to leave to focus more on Jesus? Take stock individually. Take stock as a family. What are the real priorities? What are the real priorities? I grew up doing so many extracurriculars. I was that kid. That was, you know, Michelle Vincent. You're going to do this thing. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. I was running around like crazy. But there was no time to be still and no who God is. Is your family putting, let's all watch Netflix before you've all sat down around the couches or the table and read some scripture together, prayed together. Are we doing that? It's a biblical mandate prayer. Are we doing it, church? Let's do that. Search ourselves. Two, what hunger are you feeding most? Flesh or spirit? Are you feeding that flesh hunger? Hobbies, activities, all these things. We have so many activities in the world. And it's something the church and the larger church has to think about. We, we, we look more at times when you go to a church website, it looks more like a country club than a church. We have this program and this activity and this activity and all these things. And maybe we'll look at the word of God if we have time. Let's really be mindful of this. What, what hunger are you feeding? Three. Pray. Pray to prepare the soil of your heart. Pray that the soil be tilled in the hearts of the lost. When's the last time you prayed that? Lord, soften people's hearts for you. Soften people's hearts for the gospel. What if we prayed that as one accord? What if we prayed prayers of repentance for our leaders, for our nation, that we be in the center of God's will. We've got to pray for laborers. Pray for the servants of this church. Pray for pastors. Pray for leaders that are in churches. Pray, 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 pray. I can't say it enough. Because guess what? That's the preparation to go forth and do what God needs us to do. And when you're praying, bring the word of God into your prayer. Bring the word of God. You go back and you look at these passages. You look at what what we've studied today. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Lord, help me to have a hunger that my food would be to do the work that you've called me to, Lord. What's God's will? Whatever you're doing right now is his will. You're a mom. That's your will. How are you doing it for God's glory? How are you doing it with humility? How are you following the commission to point to Christ? Wherever you work, How are you doing the commission? How's your character at work? Are you remembering that it's for the glory of God? The cause. Let's be a body that goes there and does that. 
Because then we're worshiping in spirit and truth. We're being that living sacrifice anchored in his word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are long-suffering with us, Father. It can be so hard for us to change things, make shifts, Lord, because there's so many things in the world that try to tempt us, that try to pull aside our distractions and distract us, Lord, but we're fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Those who believe and have received, Lord, we are your children. Your Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are new creations. We need not put on the garments of our old self. We can leave that cloak like Bartimaeus did and run to you. We're your saints for your glory. Lord, help each and every single one of us to focus more on you, Lord, that we can serve you better, Lord. Heavenly Father, while we're praying now, I I think of the fact Pastor Jeff is headed to Pennsylvania, Lord, to the shepherd school to pour into for the next week men who are discerning a call to ministry, Lord, and the same timing that we're looking at the harvest, Lord. Father God, I pray for his travel mercies and safety, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you be preparing the hearts of the men that he will be pouring into, Lord, and and Bill Gallatin and the other teachers there, Lord. Prepare them all to focus on you, Lord, and to remind each and every single man that it is about your will, souls coming to repentance. Help them to boldly go forth with the word, Lord, and to those who might have the wrong motives, help them search their hearts and shift it, Lord, and bring Pastor Jeff back safely and be with his precious bride, Linda, Lord, while he's away. And Father, help each and every single one of us to truly take the time and prayerfully ponder the manna you've given us through your word today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.